This is Reset. I'm Michael Puente, in for Sasha Ann Simons. February isn't just about Valentine's Day. It's also a month dedicated to raising awareness around the type of violence that affects millions of young people in the country. And that's teen dating violence. It's more common than you might think, and it has a profound impact on lifelong health and well-being. Joining us now to discuss this and more is Felicia Jiha. She's a youth and young adult organizer at Con Win in Chicago and Northwest Suburban Park Ridge. Felicia, welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you for having me on. Happy to be here. Great. Also with us is Shadori Lively, a program prevention supervisor at Sarah's Inn in West Suburban Forest Park. Shadori, great to have you on with us. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. All right, Shadori, I'll start with you. What can teen dating violence look like? So teen dating violence can look like a myriad of behaviors, um, but we tend to categorize it as four different types of abuse. So it can be physical, mental, sexual, as well as digital abuse that happens. And the digital is really hard to spot these days, as it can be text messages, social media, emails, things like that. Are there any common misconceptions about this? There are. Uh, Folks tend to think, especially adults, they tend to look at uh, teen relationships as just puppy love, nothing serious. And that ignorance can create the space and opportunity for abuse to happen um, because we think what we're seeing is just hot and cold, typical normal relationships and not really noticing the abuse, the harassment and even the stalking that can happen within those relationships. Now, Felicia, your youth group recently held a virtual workshop about teen dating violence. Can you tell us more about the group and what was covered during the event? Yeah, so I'm the youth and young adult organizer at Canwin, and so I facilitate all of the youth programs. Uh, The one that met last weekend is called Elevate, so this stands for Emerging Leaders Ending Violence Against Teens Everywhere. It's a little, a bit of a mouthful, but Essentially, it's a leadership group for Asian-American girls and non-binary youth. And so we meet uh, once a month to learn and discuss different gender-based violence topics. So this can be like uh, Asian-American feminism or reproductive justice. But essentially, it's just a safe space for us to talk about issues that affect our daily lives. So this month, we just had an open workshop for any and all youth to join And we got to talk about, you know, what teen dating violence is, um, you know, what is a healthy, unhealthy, and abusive relationship, um, what's consent. And essentially, we just had an open conversation about our experiences with dating and how our identity or cultural norms can affect our perspectives on this issue. Now, Shadori, who's most at risk for this type of violence? Well, you can actually find this type of violence in almost any community, um, any setting, but unfortunately, we know there's an increased risk for um, youth that have identities within marginalized communities. So we know that one in three women and one in two trans or non-binary individuals will have an elevated risk of abuse in um, a relationship in their lifetime. You know, I have a teen daughter, so I worry about this, too. So what are some of the warning signs to watch out for, Shadori? Yeah, so warning signs that parents or um, just 
adult allies could watch out for are things like an individual losing interest in something that was really important to them or that they used to be passionate about, a sudden drop in grades or they're suddenly failing classes. Maybe they're not hanging out with friends or family or talking about their, uh, their friends as much as they used to or getting worried about how their dating partner is going to react to something or feeling as if they're going to be uh, punished if they don't respond to their partner right away. Those are some red flags to look out for. Now, Felicia, what impact does dating violence have on teens specifically? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I can really just speak on Asian American youth, but um, for, you know, teen dating violence, uh, a lot of these Asian American youth already kind of grow up experiencing, you know, not having um, healthy behaviors of relationships modeled in their home. You know, they might have, you know, families who prohibit dating or they aren't comfortable talking about their relationships. Um, and a lot of times with this teen dating violence, it can um, cause, you know, depression, anxiety, and um, especially within, like, minority communities that is still very stig stigmatized, so they might be really unlikely to seek help. Um, so it's just uh, a lot of different issues. It might also affect their, you know, academics, their physical health, um, and it also might uh, um, cause a lot of consequences in their relationships later on in life as well. Felicia, how can young people identify and build healthy relationships right from the start? Yeah, well, um, I would say that it really starts with education. And um, a lot of times, you know, in public schools, we don't have any widely accessible or standardized education for youth. And so they kind of have to, you know, learn this on their own and kind of just figure it out for themselves. Um, but it's really important through, you know, organizations like ours and through um, other resources, like, for example, Love is Respect. They teach a lot about, you know, what healthy relationships are, um, what, how to set boundaries, what consent is, you know, not how to say no, and um, really just building those skills um, through education, I think, is the, the best way for them to really identify teen dating violence. You're listening to Reset. I'm Michael Puente and for Sasha Ann Simons. February is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, and we're talking about how young people can cultivate healthy relationships. With us to discuss this are Felicia Jiha with Can Win and Shadori Lively with Sarah's Inn. Shadori, when it comes to the public's awareness of teen violence, what gaps are there? Ooh, there are definitely gaps in awareness as... Um and adults tend to see teen relationships as something that doesn't have validity, something that's just, you know, a high school experience, puppy love. Um, so even the way that we watch media that depicts these types of relationships can cause gaps in our understanding of what's healthy and what's not. So to piggyback off of Felicia's point about education, even having a conversation in the home with your youth around what you're watching, what you're reading, what you see on TikTok or social media can be really helpful in creating um, boundaries or creating a sense of what is healthy versus what isn't healthy. Um, the example that I would use these days is if you are aware of what's happening online between Kim Kardashian and Kanye West and how they're talking about their relationship, that would be an 
excellent example for parents to use to talk about healthy versus unhealthy. Now, how is Sarah's in trying to fill those gaps? So the work that we do at our agency, specifically in the department that I run, which is the prevention department, we go into middle school and high school classrooms with a healthy relationship curriculum where we have these conversations with young people around um, not only what uh, healthy relationships look like, but also boundaries, how to communicate boundaries, what empathy looks like, how to be an advocate if someone that you know is going through something like this. La Felicia, what are you noticing through your work at CanWin? Yeah, so I think especially with CanWin, so we service, you know, all victims of domestic violence and sexual assault, but we do have more expertise in supporting Asian immigrant survivors and Asian American survivors. And um, we're definitely noticing, you know, with the pandemic especially, that there is kind of this shadow pandemic of, you know, de- uh, domestic and sexual violence um, for people of all ages. And one thing that's particularly difficult for especially Asian American youth um, in this, you know, era of COVID is we're seeing a rise in anti-Asian hate. So not only are these Asian American youth battling um, violence and dating abuse, you know, in their relationships, but outside, you know, at school and in public, they're facing all of these, you know, racial dynamics that are causing a lot of additional trauma. So, you know, they have additional barriers everywhere in addition to us trying to address this crisis of dating violence. Felicia, what should teens do if or if they or someone they know are experiencing this type of violence? Yeah. um, So for any teen listening who is experiencing dating violence, I would say the most important thing to understand is that it's not your fault. Um, Violence is never justified, right? And the cause is never about the behavior of the victim. So first, just realizing you're in an abusive relationship is incredibly challenging, but you do have the right to get help and the right to be in a healthy, loving relationship. Um, in terms of like steps you can take, I recommend you know talking to a trusted adult or friend who can help you get through the process of finding safety and accountability. So you can you know create a safety plan together that can include things like uh, finding three to four safe places you can go to if you feel in danger, memorizing important phone numbers, or just having someone accompany you throughout school in public areas or when you're about to leave an abusive situation. And, um, you know, for anyone who's experienced, who knows someone who's experiencing dating violence or just honestly anyone who knows a survivor, um, it's really crucial that you just approach the situation with empathy and understanding and really just trusting and believing what that person is telling you um, because you your reaction and your response can really influence how they decide to process and heal. So um, definitely approach these situations with empathy, understanding, and really empower them to make their own decisions because, you know, in these situations where they lose their power, they deserve their own autonomy back. And so they know what they need best. Now, Shadori, I got to ask this because um, as a parent, I know parents, um, teens are trying to get independent. They're on social media. They tell their parents, stay away from that. But as a parent, what can parents do? What can parents do to aid their, their, their children if they're in an abusive relationship? 
Excellent question. So creating a space where there's open communication is really, really helpful. Um, and that doesn't have to start when your young person is a teen. Uh, these are conversations that you can have actually when your your young person um, is a child. And an example would be if you have someone that's in kindergarten and they come home and they say, yeah, they have a crush on someone that right there is an opportunity to start talking about these things, right? So creating a space where you're listening, creating a space where you are validating the experience of that young person um, is really helpful. And also understanding that uh, your your child may not want to share everything with you, but helping them to even identify um, trusted adults that they have in their lives that could be family members, someone at school, um, identifying resources like Sarah Zinn or other domestic violence agencies that do this work where they can get counseling or other supports could be really helpful. Well, we've got less than a minute. Domestic violence service providers say they need for funding. They need more funding, and it, it's not in the latest governor's package, budget package. Felicia, what do you think about that? Um, you know, it's it's really disappointing. I would say I feel like you know we're trying our best to address this crisis, and it's definitely gotten a lot worse since the pandemic. And, uh, you know, we only allocated $400,000 for domestic violence providers this year, and we haven't seen an increase in funding for over a decade. So we really need at least just $50 million to ensure we maintain the level of services we provide. And, you know, with this budget, we're losing valuable staff and resources that are just necessary for us to stay afloat. So if you care about this issue and you want to support us, we really urge you to call your legislators and demand an increase in funding so we can continue this critical work of preventing and eradicating dating violence in our communities. That's Felicia Gia with Can Win and Shadori Lively with Sarah Zinn. Felicia and Shadori, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.